Today's episode is sponsored by Aloe Johnston, who will also be our guest speaker today. Aloe is the visionary behind Pershing Square Therapy in Los Angeles. His group practice is changing lives, specializing in supporting transgender, non-binary, queer, and non-monogamous individuals. They embrace diversity with open arms. But there's more. He is also the author of the incredible book, Am I Trans Enough? Whether you're at the beginning of your journey, well into your transition, or unsure about your identity, this book is your guide to authenticity. Now, here's the exciting part. Stick around because right after this message, Allah will be sharing his journey and insights from his book and so much more. And here's a little something special for our listeners. Visit the website linked in the show notes and use the code ALO20, A-L-O-20, for an inclusive 20% off discount today on his book. Welcome to Beyond Your Lens, a special place where we share our story as a transgender couple and welcome other amazing stories with us. This podcast is all about being open-minded. We want everyone to feel that their story matters. We'll talk about our own experiences and talk with guests from all walks of life. And together, we'll explore what it means to be authentic and understanding. Join us as we share, learn, and grow together. This is Beyond Your Lens, a space where we see the world through different eyes in the same heart. Welcome back to another episode on Beyond Your Lens. Today, we have the honor to hear from the author of Am I Trans Enough? by Aloe Johnston. As you've heard, he's not only an author, he's also a therapist supporting the LGBTQ plus community. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I would love for you to just start off by introducing yourself, a little bit about your story, and then we can dive into your practice and, of course, your book. Sure. Yeah. My, I mean, as you have introduced me, I'm Ala Johnston. I use he, him pronouns. I am a trans man and a therapist. Uh, grew up in Southern California and I have always, as a child, was always sort of, um, people called me a tomboy. I was frequently mistaken as, in quotes, a boy uh, all throughout my childhood, which um, was great. And I had no problems with that. Uh, I was very much enjoying that experience. And I remember there was a time in elementary school where we had a substitute teacher and uh, that person called me a boy and everyone was like offended on my behalf. And I, in that moment, was like, oh, am I supposed to be offended? So that was sort of my childhood. Uh, Being mistaken, again, in quotes, as a boy and not having any problems with it. And then, of course, puberty happened. And that was an unfortunate experience. Um, But I had a really tough time growing up. And I sort of thought it was the same tough time that everyone had growing up. Everyone talks about puberty like it's a terrible thing. And I was like yep, it's a terrible thing. (laughs) I'm having a bad time. This is the normal 12-year-old experience. But it took me until adulthood, until I started to uh, first question my sexuality, and then started to question my gender after I realized that got me closer to what some of the issues were that were coming up for me, but it wasn't everything that was coming up for me. Um, I started to realize that I was queer, and that got me 
part of the way there, and then I was like, that isn't everything. Um, for whatever reason, in college, um, there was a lot of people sort of calling me uh, girl or ladies, or, you know, I was being included in this group of women, and I started to realize that I hated that, and I think that was the first time that I was like, oh, this is a gender thing. There's something gender happening here that I had not been able to identify before. I had been able to identify that I wasn't super happy about wearing girls' clothes, and I wasn't super happy about having long hair and things like that, but I sort of just assumed maybe that was because of my sexuality, maybe that was my queerness, and I realized there was more to it. Um, and that was the peak of Tumblr days, so I started to get some language about gender through Tumblr, and as I uh, went through college and then eventually went through grad school, started to identify that, you know, I was having these gender feelings and started to think about, did I want top surgery? Did I want to go on testosterone? But it really wasn't clear to me. I didn't feel trans, and I didn't feel trans enough based on the stories that I had heard from trans men on the internet and I had watched a million YouTube videos of trans men on the internet in an obsessive way that only a uh, closeted trans person can <laughs> and I uh, started to get more and more information but I was just like oh I don't feel like I'm like those people uh, and it took you know, five years of thinking about if I wanted to start hormones before I realized that I needed to try it and see if that was something that was going to work for me. And like I said, um, at that time, I started to realize that I, like, wanted to help people, and I also really enjoyed talking about gender, and I was starting to figure out, okay, at first I was identifying as genderqueer, uh, and then eventually um, I decided I needed to try testosterone and see how it would work for me, see if I liked it, see if it improved my life. And I did that and then was like, oh, I absolutely, this is absolutely something that is helpful and I need to keep doing this. I had this impression that I might do it for five or six months and then stop. And then I started and was like, no, I want all of the changes. I think I want to do this forever. <laughs> uh, so that was a, a jarring thing. But I went into grad school to become a therapist, sort of realizing that I really liked talking with other people about gender. Um, I really liked working with people and sort of going through similar things that, uh, discussing similar things with them that I had struggled with. And I started grad school to become a therapist when I was three months on testosterone. So a little baby trans, having my baby trans experience while also <laughs> learning how to work with other queer people, other trans people. Um, yeah, and that was about 10 years ago, so my path to becoming a therapist and my path as a trans person sort of came in parallel, and I'm really glad, I felt like that was a really rewarding experience, and I'm really glad I got to work with so many trans people along my journey and in my training and from day one of being a therapist. Um, now there's something interesting that you said that I think I know the answer to, but I would like you to answer if you're okay with it. You said... Um, puberty, when you hit puberty, it was really hard for you. Can you explain why that is? Mm. Yeah. Again, like I had just been told puberty is hard for everyone. So I was like, okay. But you know, everyone talks about it being uncomfortable and you're feeling awkward and you're feeling insecure, which I certainly was feeling all of those things. Um, but then of course there was also the element of people talk about it as like becoming from in my experience people were telling me oh you're becoming a woman um so i 
physically sort of developed pretty early. I felt like emotionally a late bloomer and physically my body was just like doing not the late bloomer thing. Um, but you know, when I started my period, that was like a terrifying experience for me. Physically, it just felt wrong and uncomfortable, which again, people had told me that like having a period is painful and it's awkward and these things that I was like, oh, maybe that's what I'm experiencing. But also the narrative that people were giving me of this is a step into becoming a woman. And looking back now, like that is probably the primary thing I was freaking out about that I was like, absolutely not. Like I do not want to become a woman. And this happened, you know, I was relatively young. I think I was 10 or 11, like absolutely didn't feel ready for that. Um, again, in a way that maybe was partially just my age, but more than that was that looking back, I'm like, that wasn't my gender. It felt like I had had this stage of childhood where it was very easy to be a tomboy. It was very easy to wear boys clothes. It was very easy to sort of hang out with boys and not be physically very different. And then puberty happened and it sort of felt like we were on these different paths, these different journeys. And I was on the wrong track, uh, moving further and further away from the things that I felt comfortable with, but I had no language around any of it. I feel like no one was talking about gender. No one was talking about trans issues. I feel like I like kind of knew what gay people were, but I was not connecting that to my experience at all. Um, and so, you know, and then there was increasing sort of social pressure where I remember in sixth grade, uh, someone asked me if I was going to shave my legs and I was like, this felt like an incredible burden of like, oh no, more things I don't want to do. More things that seem really hard and seem really like counter to what feels natural to me. Uh, and again, like my sixth grade self was not able to articulate any of this. It was just like, I hate this. This feels horrible. I don't want to do it. Um, and you know, again, looking back, all of that's very clearly <laughs> gender stuff where people are like, why don't you want to carry a purse? Why don't you want to wear girls jeans? Why don't you want to shave your legs? And I was just like, I just don't like, I can't, I don't want to, this is all terrible. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I was asking that too is, I mean, you touched on it mainly, but is people that are not around trans individuals and don't understand, they just don't understand this. They don't understand why most trans individuals wish that they transitioned prior to puberty. Yeah. And from my understanding, I do not know if it's the same for female to male. From my understanding, like it would have been easier for my spouse coming male to female because now she has a deeper voice. I mean, yeah. all the things, literally all the things. Um, yeah. Would you agree with all that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think people talk about, especially when you talk to people who, like you said, have not met a lot of trans people, especially haven't met trans youth, um, people are often say, oh, you can do whatever you want when you turn 18. Like, if you want to do that, you can start hormones when you're 18, you can have surgery when you're 18, you're legally an adult, which part of me is just like, that's a weird, like, we control you until you're a legal adult, and then, like, maturity-wise, you're not drastically different at 17 and 364 days versus 18, but, you know, that's where the line is in the U.S. But also, I think there's this mistaken impression that it's a neutral experience, that going through the wrong puberty, for lack of a better word, is like a neutral experience that can be undone or can be changed or, you know, like once you're on hormones, everything will be fine. Or once you have surgery, everything will be fine. Um, and of course, 
those things are incredibly helpful, but there's things you cannot undo. Uh, your skeleton cannot change. Your height cannot change. Um, for trans feminine people, like their shoulders will broaden and that's not something that can be changed for trans masculine people. Your hips widen and that cannot be changed. Um, you know, like hand size, again, all of these sort of skeletal pieces. And then um, testosterone does thicken your vocal cords and deepen your voice, which is a great thing if you're a trans man and you go on testosterone and your voice deepens. But as a trans woman, your voice is where it's at. And there is now like surgical options available, but they're not easily available and they're certainly not cheap. Um, so these changes that are just like can be undone, some of them, some of them absolutely cannot at all be undone. And some of them can be undone with a huge cost, a huge both like financial cost and also the amount of recovery and just going through a surgical experience when okay. you didn't have to do that, which I think is why people talk so much about puberty blockers for trans youth is that gives everyone more time that you can yeah. have this, um, you know, pre-pubertal, like maybe 11 year old or someone who is about to hit puberty and you can put it off until everyone is like, okay, we all feel comfortable that this person like knows what they're doing. I will say personally, mm -hmm. having worked with a lot of those kids, those kids know exactly what they want and the parents need more time <laughs> to sort of process the fact that their kid is trans, but it gives everyone more time. It gives the kid more time. It gives the parents more time. Um, and it allows them to sort of be on track with their peers so that if they're going to start, you know, hormones as, uh, you know, a teenager, that they'll be aligned with everyone their age and they're yeah. not going to go through puberty too fast or they're not going to be in this um, pre-puberty stage for way longer than everyone else. But that's such a huge, huge help. And I think people my age and older absolutely did not grow up with this as an option of we can mm -hmm. stop your puberty and we can <laughs> let you figure all of this out so you don't have to go through the experience of, um, again, like for me, my, my hips widening and things that I'm like, well... It is what it is. There's no changing that. Mm. So you also mentioned, um, which is your book name, that you just felt that you weren't trans enough. So yeah. obviously you wrote that book for a reason. Can yes. you can you give a little bit um, of a background of like obviously what made you write that? What um, people can find in that book? Yeah. Yeah, uh, during the pandemic, I many, many people were sitting with their thoughts for maybe uh, the first time to that degree. It was very quiet. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot to do. People were very aware of, um, you know, and a lot of people didn't have to go to work. Uh, people were able to work from home um, or potentially their industries may have uh, shut down or slowed down so that people were having these very different experiences, often frequently sitting at home. And a lot of people were realizing, oh, I think I'm queer. Oh, I think I'm trans. Oh, I think I'm neurodivergent. I think all of those were big things that people were dealing with and discovering about themselves. And I think for the gender identity piece, not having to go into work and sort of present a facade or present like a, this is business me. Like this is the version of me that is expected in my gender. And, you know, again, some of that was silly where you're like, I can wear sweatpants and that's great. But some of that felt really intense for people that they realized the degree to which they were sort of putting on a facade, they were acting. Um, 
And I was getting a ton of people reaching out to me being like, I think I'm trans and, you know, can I work with you? And I was working with a bunch of people. I was very, very busy. But I, there was a point where I was like, I can't see everyone who's reaching out to me. But I kept having the same conversations over and over and over again with people that people had the same kind of doubts, the same kind of fears, the same kind of like, what if I'm not sure? How can I be sure um, in order to, you know, feel comfortable before I go on hormones? Or I think I want surgery, but it seems really drastic. Um, and I knew this before the pandemic that, you know, I was having these conversations with people and these were really common situations, but I always sort of joked that if I were to change the DSM diagnosis for gender dysphoria, it would just say, have you ever asked yourself, am I trans enough? And if your answer was yes, then I'd be like, yeah, you're trans. Like that is the question that we all ask ourselves, which is like, well, you know, I have these feelings, but maybe other people are feeling them in a different way than me. And those are real trans people and I'm just faking it. Or I just have trying to appropriate the experience or whatever the insecurity may be. Um, so I started, you know, and I just sat down and started writing down a lot of these conversations that I had and these things that got in people's way. The whole book was like everything that traditionally gets in people's way when they're going on this journey on like an emotional level and a mental in a mental space that I know when I was like I said watching a million YouTube videos of trans men uh, trying to figure out if this was something that I wanted if I wanted to go on hormones people talked about physical changes all the time and people would talk about you know facial hair coming in and they're excited about having top surgery and these sort of changes that were really exciting to see and also I was like but, but did you ever question this? Did you ever wonder this? Did you ever have this insecurity? Those were the things I really wanted to know and I couldn't find those resources. Maybe little bits and pieces here and there. That maybe there would be this like, you know, subreddit, you know, uh, and a small conversation that I was like, oh, someone else has felt that. But it was like trying to gather these tiny little crumbs. And again, everyone seemed to have the same insecurities. And I was just like, let me just write down everything that got in my way everything that's gotten in my client's way and the ways that I figured out how to deal with it and I've helped other people process that and move through that and so much of it according to me I feel like goes sort of counter to the dominant narrative which is um that the dominant narrative is basically are you sure you should be really, 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 really sure before you do any of this because this is a big deal and it's these irreversible changes. Um, and my experience was you cannot be 110% sure before you start hormones. You cannot be 110% sure before you're like, I'm going to live my life as a different gender and it's going to change my relationships. It's going to change my career. It's going to change every aspect of my life. Like, how are you supposed to feel confident that you are ready for that or you know what that feels like? And in my experience, I felt like my imagination just hit a roadblock at a certain point. I spent, like I said, five years thinking about if I wanted to start testosterone. And I would just go around and around and around in circles. But I was like, here are the pros, here are the cons, according to, you know, what I wanted at that time. And then I was like, well, there isn't a clear choice. Like, there's some pros and there's some cons. One of them isn't drastically outweighing the other. So I guess I'll just, you know, wait until I feel more sure or if I never feel more sure, maybe I'll never do it. 
And that just happened over and over and over and over again until I was like, this is not going away. And in fact, the more I tried to repress it, that I would think about it like once a month, then I would, you know, it would come faster and faster. Now I was thinking about it once a week. Now I was thinking about it every day. It got to the point where I was like, I think the fact that I keep going around and around in circles trying to base this on a pros and cons list and I'm never getting a clear answer means I need more information. And a lot of that was what I wrote about in the book was that like, there is so much of this process that's experiential. There's so much of trial and error. There's so much of feeling what new information is going to give you evidence of like, is this better? Is this worse? And we want to know all of that up front and we just can't. No. And, um, well, first off, I do want to say that even in my own inbox on my social media, I have multiple people just reaching out to me saying, Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't, you know, I felt a, B and C my whole life, but I don't, they literally say, I don't think I'm trans enough. So it's, it's really cool to be able to send them over to your book. Not that I can promise like, Hey, here's the Bible to what you need, but hope that it can help them, you know, get to where yeah. they feel like okay it's a heck yes yeah i was just gonna say like the answer is that like every single trans person has also felt that way like by feeling that way you are not invalidating yourself as a trans person which i feel like is the common feeling of like well i don't feel trans enough so therefore you know all these other people felt really sure and i'm like I, they didn't yep. i promise you they didn't we all have had the same journey yep. and that is the most trans thing that you could possibly do again is to have all of these questions is incredibly trans of you you're doing it right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to say every person I've talked to because I don't know if that's fair, mm-hmm. but it seems like a huge percentage of the trans individuals I have talked to, it's the same story as in they've questioned it for literally right. their whole life. Now, yeah. obviously I'm talking to parents who their kids are young, um, which is absolutely amazing that they even have parents that they feel that they can come to and talk to at such a young age, um, which, yeah, that's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned that you're not going to ever know right away, like, oh, yep, for sure, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do A, yeah. B, and C. And that once I do this, I know I'm going to get over my gender dysphoria and blah, blah, blah. And how I know that is because not only watching my spouse go through it, which I am so proud of her, when she first came out to me, she's like, I've, I've wanted this forever, but mm. the one thing that I do know is I have to take this slow. I have to, let's just say, yeah. I have to grow out my hair. Okay. Yep. The hair makes me feel better. Okay. Um, do I not like my voice? And you have to literally process every little thing and sit with it to see, mm-hmm. you know, even try something new, Yeah. even if it's something small. And I think that that's something I've learned through this is every transition is different. I mean, I talked to someone today who is a trans man that's not taking hormones. Yeah. I didn't know not, I didn't find this part out today, but I didn't know you don't have to take hormones. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's just, and I think yeah. you need the baby steps, which again, we're trying to get the full picture because we want to be comforted by the like, okay, where will I be in 10 years? We want to know that just like as humans, we want to be like, where am I going? Is this relationship going to work out? Is it worth it to move? Is it worth it to change my career? And also like, is my gender going to look this specific way? What's it going to look like in 10 years? Is this all going to feel worth it? And we just don't have access to that kind of information. And I think people need the baby steps in ways that's sort of hard to anticipate, that I know so many people 
who thought they didn't want to go on hormones or thought they wouldn't want to have surgery, who have done those things and are extremely happy with their decision, but they were not capable of getting to that place on day one. They were like, oh, I need a haircut or I need to grow my hair out or I need to try different clothes or I need to have my friends start to try they them pronouns for me or I'm going to go to Starbucks and I'm going to give them a different name that I'm trying just to hear how it sounds when they call it out. These little tiny things that maybe feel not significant in the sort of grand scheme of the things that you want to understand. Um, And that I think by stepping into that, you can get this feeling of, okay, this feels a little better. Like, let me now try something else where you're like, okay, I've changed my hair. Now I'm going to try out a new name. And that name, I think, feels a little better. It feels a little weird because I'm not used to hearing it, but I think it feels better. So now let me try seeing what happens if people use different pronouns for me. And as people make those steps little by little, you might find that you're like, okay, now I am actually interested in trying hormones. Like, let's see what that's like. And I'm not saying that that everyone has that journey. Of course, there are trans people who don't go on hormones ever, don't have surgery ever. Not every single person does every single thing, and that's totally fair. But I think it's just impossible to see, you know, 20 steps ahead. I've described it as sort of like this thick fog that as you step forward, you see a little bit further. And as you step forward, you see a little bit further. But from where you started, you just cannot see where you're going. The only way you can see where you're going is by taking those steps little by little. And my experience, you know, when I was unsure if I wanted to start hormones, was that there were things I knew I wanted for sure. Um, I knew I wanted a deeper voice. I knew I wanted like some of the the muscle and like body uh, fat changes and things like that. But there were a bunch of things I wasn't sure that I wanted. I wasn't sure if I wanted body hair. I wasn't sure if I wanted facial hair. Um, And it was really, really hard for me to imagine having those things. And sometimes it also felt just like really uncomfortable to even imagine having those things. And I, looking back now, I have a much clearer picture of why it felt weird is that I was sort of imagining the body that I had pre-transition, slapping a bunch of hair on it. And I was like, no, I don't want that. That seems like it'd be weird. And that's not what happened. I didn't wake up with the same body and then suddenly have like a bunch of chest hair, which I think would have made me very uncomfortable and would not have been the thing that I wanted. But instead, you know, over the course of time, I woke up one day and had one chin hair and then my brain integrated it. And then maybe a few days later, I had two chin hairs and my brain integrated it. The beard took like eight years. Like to actually have a thing that I would call a beard, (laughs) it took a very long time. I had facial hair along the way, but it was like, you know, you get the little like teenage dirt stash mustache that no one, no one's actually calling a mustache. I had, you know, my um, hair growing out a little bit, the sideburns coming in a little bit more. And then I was like, okay. But again, as you, as anyone who has ever seen like a 13, 14 year old boy, the facial hair that they're growing, you're not going to call it a beard. It starts in a very small way and it develops into something over the course of many years. Um, And I didn't realize the effects that that would have on me mentally, that these changes would happen slowly, slowly, slowly in these tiny, tiny increments. Each time there would be a change and my brain would catch up. There'd be a change and my brain would catch up to the point where now um, 
I do not want to shave any of this off. I feel very dysphoric not having the facial hair. Um, I really love the body hair that I have because it feels like it fits on the body that I have. But at the time, my like pre-transition body, you like slapped all this hair on it. I would be like, no, that's not what I want. This kind of grosses me out. It feels very uncomfortable. <laughs> it feels very weird. And that's how I was imagining it. And that's not what happened. And I think it took the slowness of the experience, as impatient as I was, the slowness of the experience was a benefit. And I think that's a thing that is true for cisgender people as well. Like, you see 13-year-olds and you see 18-year-olds, and they're developmentally in very, very, very different places. And if suddenly a 13-year-old woke up looking like an 18-year-old, that would be scary to them. And that's not what happens. There's a reason that this happens, I think, in a slow way that we're able to integrate the speed at which our body changes in some ways is the speed at which our brain can also change and can integrate this information and being like, yeah, you know, and I think that commonly trans experiences like looking at yourself in the mirror like 20 times a day being like, is it different? Has something happened? <laughs> like, we're very impatient. We want changes quickly. But also, I think, again, there is a benefit to like it happening slowly so that it's not jarring. It doesn't feel uncomfortable. It all fits together by the time that like my shape had changed through uh, fat redistribution and muscle changes, which is one of the slowest changes of hormones. Um, the other pieces all felt like they fit as well. Now, would you, I know this is different for every single individual, but would you say, if you were to say like on a scale of one to 10, uh, 10 being you no longer have dysphoria and one being, oh my God, I have the worst gender dysphoria, what would you say, since going through your transition, would you say that you're really close to a 10? Yeah, I would say so. I feel like I'm at, I don't know, depending on the day, like a 9 or a 10. Like, there's certainly things that I still can feel uncomfortable about. And I think probably this is true for cis people as well. If you're, like, surprised, you see a picture of, like, the back of you and you're like, is that what I look like from behind? Or, like, you hear your own voice and you're like, is that what I sound like? There are still ways that I can sort of be shocked by information um, that can sort of bring stuff up. I think there are still things, like I said, like my hand size or something can still bring up feelings of dysphoria. But for the most part, everything else feels so comfortable that that's not something that I focus on day by day that people are interacting with me as a man, people are, you know, not misgendering me anywhere near. It happens occasionally, which is a little confusing to me, but I'm able to shake it off in a way that feels um, just, I'm like, I don't really care because 99% of the time I am being gendered the way I want to and I expect to be. And I think that just makes all of the stuff a little bit easier to handle. Um, which wasn't the case all the time. I think there were times, even during my transition, where, again, it was sort of hit or miss. I wasn't ever sure if I was going to be gendered uh, male or not moving through the world. And, like, one person over here would say miss and one person over here would say sir. And I was like, how are you both looking at me, like, ten minutes apart and getting a different impression? Um, and that was a point where some of those misgenderings felt like they hit really hard because I was no longer compartmentalizing that I wanted to be gendered male. I was no longer like, oh, it's fine. I guess life is just sort of a miserable thing. I was like, no, I'm like trying to achieve something and I'm not getting it all the time. And that was really hard. Um, but I think at this stage where I don't, I don't really use the word like post-transition because I don't know what exactly that means. But I will say 
I've like had the surgeries that I want to have. I've done the things that I want to do. I feel like a lot of transition is sort of maintenance at this stage where I'm taking testosterone, not in order to really see any changes. The changes have happened, but in order to maintain those changes. Um, That the vast majority of the time, I feel like I'm between a nine and a 10 and I'm not consciously having to think about, oh, I'm a trans person. I'm not consciously having to think about, um, you know, am I going to be gendered correctly? Which I think, of course, is like a huge privilege. And I think there is an element that people sort of get in their heads of like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to pass all the time, so I don't know if it's worth it. Um, And I think the conversation that I have with many, many people is like, if your experience went from being gendered correctly 0% of the time, which is usually where you start pre-transition, you're getting gendered correctly 0% of the time to like 50% of the time or 80% of the time, would that feel worth it? And the answer for most people is yes. That like moving towards the better option reduces so much of the heaviness of it. You don't have to carry 50% of what you're carrying right now. Is that worth it? Like usually most people say yes. And I think for the people who aren't sure, getting some of that information that I think you don't know the weight of how much you're carrying until you're not carrying it. And being able to have the experiences where you're like, oh, I don't have to think about this. And I think that's true with a lot of people who have surgery and things like that is like, there's a part of your brain that is constantly sort of like addressing these dysphoria places. For me, like I said, top surgery was a huge thing that I didn't realize that I think my brain was doing this, like I have to limit how much my chest is showing. I was hunching all the time. I was wearing baggy clothes. I didn't want to wear anything super form fitting. I definitely didn't want to wear a bathing suit or anything because there was this constant, like I have to make sure that no one's experiencing this thing that brings me a lot of discomfort. And I didn't realize how much brain energy that was taking until I didn't have to do it. And I think there's so much of the experience of transition that is like putting down all of this weight and then being like, oh my God, I had no idea that this was taking up so much space. And no wonder like it's so hard to be a person. No wonder like my job feels exhausting and like basic tasks feel exhausting because I was doing all this other stuff in the background. My brain was like sort of doing this background processing every second of every day. Yeah. um, Even for Ryan, I mean, I won't go into detail, but I can even see in her own eyes and brain that how exhausting it is and how uncomfortable it is in certain ways that I'm just like, I feel for anybody going through this. Um, But I do, I, I really do appreciate how you brought up um, when I asked you on a scale of one to 10, and the reason why I asked you is not because I was expecting a number. It's because <laughs> people have in their head that, oh, once they transition, um, they're never going to have gender dysphoria again. But then you also shocked me by saying something I didn't think about. Even as a cis woman, I do have my own, I don't know if you want to call it dysphoria, but like, oh, wow, I do look like that, you know that angle wow I didn't know that and it's true like who is 110% happy with how they're looking so it doesn't matter if you're transitioning or not so I I really do appreciate you saying that because I don't want uh people that are just listening or who are supporters of the trans community to have this expectation that their dysphoria just goes away and then vice versa 
I want people who who do feel like they are transgender but have not transitioned, I want them to know that it's part of the process and yeah. it's just about feeling better. Yeah. And I talk a lot about, and I talk about it in the book as well, is that like often people's dysphoria feels worse right after they come out to themselves or right after they start the process of sort of socially transitioning or uh, presenting differently in the world. And then people start to be like, oh, that means I'm not really trans. And I'm like, again, it means the exact opposite. Like this is the most trans experience that you could possibly have. Because like I said, people are compartmentalizing Pre-transition, I was very, very depressed, and I had no idea why. I was, I couldn't see a future for myself. I couldn't imagine a life that was worth living, and I had no idea that it was about gender. I had no idea why I was feeling this way, and then I started to realize that I was trans, and then I was like, oh, maybe that's why everything felt really hard, and I felt like life wasn't worth living, or I didn't have a future, is because... I have been carrying all of this gender stuff, and only now, and at this point I was like 25 years old, only at 25 years old am I starting to realize this is gender related. And so it went from this sort of like diffuse, confusing, just like weird, I don't know about this life thing, to like my feelings of discomfort, unhappiness, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of it is about gender. And I was come sort of just like, eh, life sucks to life sucks in this specific way. I now know what's, what's, what's the problem. And that meant I was no longer like compartmentalizing my feelings. I was no longer unaware of what was happening to me, which meant then that if someone called me ma'am, that I would have this feeling of sort of getting punched in the stomach. And it sort of made each experience kind of more intense. I felt like I was like, oh, that specifically hurt. Um, these experiences where someone misgendered me, I was like, oh, I didn't like that. Even being able to, my whole life, obviously, up until 25 years old, everyone was using she, her pronouns for me hundreds of times a day, probably in school and stuff, that I heard it constantly. And I didn't know that that was uncomfortable to me until I, again, had this realization of, oh, I think this is about gender. And then hearing it, I was like, yeah, I don't like that. But it sort of felt like this like death by a thousand cuts type experience where I was just in pain all the time and I didn't know why. And then I was like, oh, I am noticing each cut as it happens. And that I think, again, going from compartmentalizing to having a desire and acknowledging that you have a desire, acknowledging that something, there's something that you want and you don't yet have it because of course you got to start there. You can't day one be like, well, I got all the transition things I want. You have to first want it, and then you have to go out and get it. And that part is really, 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 really painful. And I think people suddenly, their dysphoria spikes really hard. Um, and they're like, oh, that means this is the wrong path to go down. Like, clearly, I started down this journey, and it already sucks. Um, so I should uh, abandon ship now. And I'm like, no, it gets worse before it gets better. And I think knowing that it gets worse before it gets better, first is comforting because you're like, I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this. And it will start to fall off. You will start to have that lowered dysphoria experience. You will start to get gendered correctly sometimes. And again, it's like this slow, it's nonlinear. You're not going to go from like 5% correct to 10% correct to 20% correct. Like some days I would get gendered correctly like 
80% of the time and then the next day it'd be 20% and I'm like I don't understand how any of this works like I don't understand how people read gender it's all very confusing but it feels extremely non-linear but the trend is good uh, it gets worse before it gets better and then it slowly 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 gets better and you will get to a stage often years down the line of these tiny tiny little steps these tiny cumulative effects and you'll be like wow I got here somehow like, you'll look back and see you're at a different place than you were before, but you don't necessarily notice that you're, like, moving uh, until you are able to look back. And I think that is just, like, putting one foot in front of the other with sort of that hope and faith and trust that something is happening um, is a huge piece because, again, if you, the sort of, like, hyper aware looking in the mirror 20 times a day being like has something changed no nothing has changed since 20 minutes ago <laughs> nothing has changed since yeah. you looked in the mirror last time but in the same way that yeah. like if you have like a you know a young niece or nephew or something you see them like once a year at a family event and you you always notice at some family events someone's always like you're so big I haven't seen you in so long you look so different the kid doesn't know that they look different they've seen themselves in the mirror every second of every day they don't know that they're <laughs> they've changed in a drastic way to the person who saw them one year ago and then today there's a drastic change and i think knowing that those types of things are happening that you never wake up you know you didn't wake up as a child and be like i'm one thirty second of an inch taller than i was yesterday it's just like happening and you don't notice it until someday you're like i was not six feet once and now i am that's so true it really it really is true um okay so besides reading your book because obviously that's going to be your number one answer um <laughs> what is the like what's like the first thing that comes to mind for advice from you to someone that is listening that feels like I'm not trans enough or yeah. is questioning their gender. What what do you have to say for that? I definitely think find trans community. And if that's online, that's great. If it can be in person, that's even better. Um, that I think you will find that, first of all, you're absolutely not the only person who's ever felt these things. And every trans person, I think there's this expectation when you're, you're just like new to any sort of space, any sort of group that people will be like, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing or like you won't fit in or whatever. You will feel like an outsider that everyone will see as a fraud. Uh, and exactly the opposite will happen. Everyone is going to be like, yes, we all were there once. We all had those insecurities. We all didn't know if we you know, wanted to do these steps. And like we've all been there. And I think that's a hugely healing process. And I think having the support and people you can talk to and ask questions and all of those things is huge. So I think having trans friends, again, if that is like a Discord server, great. If you can find in-person community, like, that's amazing. And I think those people will be there for you in so many ways if you, like, need help moving. Like, those people will be there. Finding community is such a huge thing. And if you have the ability, I think being able to access, you know, therapy and especially the trans affirming therapy is a huge piece as well. Um, I think many people see me because I am a trans person and they would like to talk to a trans person and talk to someone who gets it. I think that's very great if you can access that. And also, I think, you know, even working with a um, cis person who has a lot of this knowledge and background can be hugely helpful. Um, and just finding the person that you feel like you can discuss all of these things and feel like you're heard 
I think if you feel like you are in spaces where you're being shamed, or if you're in spaces where you feel like you can't be open, that is probably a sign to expand your friendships, expand your, you know, again, your healing community. If you have a therapist that you're like, I think this person's transphobic, so I'm not going to talk about any of this gender stuff. Like, of course, that is going to feel like it's holding you back. So just finding whatever space where you feel safe to be open and have people you can talk about your doubts with. Yeah, and I will 100% agree with that because not only have I found, I would say, my community, even though it's online, um, as a spouse going through this, um, that's been absolutely huge because I don't feel so alone and I can actually relate to people, not like speak a different language, <laughs> which yeah. it feels like to everybody else. But um, I will say starting our account and Ryan being on social media as two people coming to her asking, wait, like I have a question. I felt like this. Um, that, did you feel like that too? And, and them having that communication, that community with each other makes them not feel alone and makes them answer some questions that they've been wondering. You know, yeah. it's, it's just really good to have that connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny, like you go on any subreddit, you know, trans subreddit, uh, I think you will always find someone will write out their entire life story and then we'll end it with, do you think I'm trans? And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> you spent all this time writing out this experience that probably gives you some information that this all is hitting very close to home. You're asking the subreddit of trans people to assess. But again, that sort of feeling of like, just keep thinking about it over and over and over again or I keep comparing my experience to this trans person over and over trying to find the similarities and the differences so I can assess I'm like 83% like this person and is that a passing grade and I'm like we all have different experiences you will find as you create trans communities that there are a lot of similarities in people's stories but your story mm -hmm. doesn't have to be like another person's and I think as I was talking about sort of earlier is there were a lot of stories that I heard that people universalize their experiences. I remember seeing someone, probably again on Tumblr, a trans guy who was talking about how he had genital dysphoria ever since he was a child. And it was really, really intense. And he would always try and pee standing up and people would tell him, you know, that he's not allowed to do that or that's not how it works. Um, and this was a really strong memory for him. It was a very significant thing for him. And basically he said that if you haven't had this feeling, you're not really a trans guy. And this is something that I read when I was very much in my questioning stage. And I was like, well, I guess I'm gonna believe him. Like, first of all, he said it very confidently. But second of all, I was just like, oh, this must be the experience of a trans man. And I have not had that kind of genital dysphoria. Um, and that's not an experience that I had as a child. And I discovered that that didn't make me any more or less a man than this guy, any more or less a man than a cis person, uh, a cis man. So I think feeling able to realize on my own terms that that just got to be a different experience that I had. And of course, some people have you know, severe dysphoria about one thing and you might not have any dysphoria around that or you might have a very tiny amount or you could have severe dysphoria around something that other people don't have any dysphoria around. Or, you know, all sorts of experiences that are not just like, this is the only way to be a trans woman, this is the only way to be a trans man. Obviously, there are infinite ways to be non-binary. Non-binary is the sort of expansiveness of anything that's not those two options. 
Of course, there's no correct way to be no non-binary, but there's also no correct way to be a trans man or a trans woman. So I think just knowing that the stories that you hear from other people do not have to be yours. And if people are universalizing their experience of this is always how people feel, this is never how people feel. If you didn't feel this, you are not X, Y, Z just ignore it like those are people who are trying to process their own stuff and you don't have to take that on um yeah I do think it's super important um for all of us whether we're going through what you guys are going through or not um to realize we don't need to be comparing our lives because I mean I'm telling you every situation in life is different I can compare me as a spouse going through this to someone else and it, it may not work out for someone else you yeah. just never know and yeah. and as for a transition you don't know like even ryan says is one day i thought for sure I'd, i wouldn't have a problem with my voice and then the, now the more i listen and the more i sit with it no i don't like my voice and it, yeah it just takes time you're not gonna have answers right away yep yeah um okay so before we wrap up i kind of want you to just briefly talk about your practice um, where do you, um, where can you service certain clients and, um, is it virtually person? Yeah, I can see clients in California and now Idaho as well. I can see people virtually. So anyone in any part of those States, I can see over telehealth, which is yeah, uh, video, um, HIPAA compliant video service. And I'm able to offer therapy to people um, and also surgery letters, therapist letters, in order to get gender-affirming surgery if people are looking to get that. <clears throat> I know there are many, many barriers to that um, and that the whole process can be very, very hard. So I'm trying to be uh, less of a barrier <laughs> than other places. So just trying to ac give people access to care. And yeah, I can see anyone in California or Idaho. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Well, I do appreciate you sharing all of that and I highly recommend your book and there is a discount code if you guys listen to the beginning of this. So check that out. The website will be linked in the show notes. So please check that out. And Aloe, thank you so much for being on here today, sharing a little bit about your story, your book and your services. I really do appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on Beyond Your Lens. Remember, your story matters. Keep an open heart and an open mind. Until next time, keep looking beyond your lens. If you'd like to follow our personal journey where we open up more about our story, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at TransWifeLife. Take care and stay true to yourself.